Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. This is a message given by Tom Job on March 19th, 2023 from the Gospel of Mark. This is something I read. So the holiday in America where Americans spend the most money is, by a lot, is Christmas. The number two holiday where Americans spend the most money is Labor Day. Isn't that crazy? Labor Day. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I would not have thought of Labor Day. And the number three is Mother's Day. Number four is Valentine's Day. Number five is Easter. So anyway, I was just thinking, the reason I was thinking about that, because I was thinking about um, Lent, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said, the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And the word ransom is a word that means purchase. And so Jesus died and rose again to buy us. And Lent to me is a time, it's just something I'm leaning into more in my life. And just asking the question in the security of knowing that Jesus bought me and he's never going to want a return or an exchange, but um, he's keeping me, but is he happy with his purchase? And so I, I'm just, during the Sundays of Lent, I'm just asking the question um, from Matthew. Matthew, what does Jesus want from me? Mark, what does Jesus want from me? In the Gospel of Luke, Luke, what does Jesus want from me? In the Gospel of John, John, what does Jesus want from me? So this is in the Gospel of Mark. I'm reading, this is the very last. This is the end of the Gospel of Mark, where the Sabbath was over, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint the body of Jesus. And very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? And when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white sitting on, a, on the right side, and they were afraid. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell the disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. And trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb, and they didn't say anything to anyone because they were afraid. That, because, okay, so the earliest and the best copies of the Gospel of Mark end right there. And there's another bunch of stuff. Okay, I don't want this to be like freaky, but those were probably added um, a couple of centuries later. So Mark probably ended on purpose at verse nine. If you have any questions about that, would you talk to Lee after this? So, 
<laughs> but anyway, Lord Jesus, help us to understand what you're saying to us and um, speak to my heart, speak to our hearts. Let us go home spoken to today. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm, there was a, I was reading about a kid. I guess she was about six, and, her, and she lost a tooth. And she asked her mom, she said, Mom, is the tooth fairy coming tonight? And she said, Honey, I need to tell you something. Mommy is the tooth fairy. And she said, what? You are the tooth fairy? That is amazing. And then, she, and then she said, does that mean you leave me alone every night? And so, but the, but um, it's kind of cool to know you have a hero that you didn't expect. So anyway, but I'm a, I'm a person who, in my life, I've always had to have like people that I looked up to, like, I want to be like them. I want to be like them. And I need a hero. So the... Um, when I was in high school, so I had two in high school. One of them was, this is so weird, but I was very weird. But one of them was um, Harpo Marx. I loved him. I loved Harpo Marx. And some of you don't know who he was. I read his autobiography. It was about 450 pages, and I read it twice. Because I thought, what if you could live your whole life and never say anything stupid? And so I thought I wanted to be like him because he never ever spoke, you know, of the Marx Brothers. He's the one that never spoke. The other one was Red Skelton because you have to be like a million years old to know who he was, but he was a comedian. And I just thought he was very sweet. And he just, he, you know, he would end his show, good night and may God bless. And I just thought, you're so kind. I, I just wanted to be kind like him, which he really was. His, he had a son in 1957, his son Richard, who was a, a probably about 12, got leukemia. And he wound up dying in a couple of years of it. But they, one night, one, one time they were at, in the hospital getting treatment. And he and Richard just spent the time keeping all the kids laughing and going up and down, cutting up. And there was a girl that had to have a big surgery the next day, and her mom had like four kids, and she was a single mom, and she couldn't be with her. And, and they had come in and talked and laughed and stuff, and she woke up in the middle of the night. This is so... I can't believe... But he was sitting there. Red Skelton was sitting there asleep in a chair in her room. And she woke up, and he woke up, and he just wanted her to know that she was going to be okay. I just... I, I just always wanted to be like that, you know? People that, but then, but then when I accepted Jesus, I wanted to be, well, so, oh, so before I accepted Jesus, there was a woman. And she used to sing for Billy Graham, and her name was Ethel Waters. And I didn't realize that she was the first African-American woman to win a Tony Award. But she was so kind and so sweet, and she was so happy. And I thought, I want to be like her. I don't know what she has, but I want it. And then when I accepted Jesus, the people that I wanted to be like were the, the thing that I, I wanted to be like people who were brave, like Jim Elliott and, you know, going to reach people in the jungles of Colombia and in Ecuador and wind up getting speared to death. And I was like, yes. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, People who just give everything, and I want to be like somebody who would give everything. And Hudson Taylor was and is like my hero. And he went to China when he was 22 in 1855, I think. And then he quit his mission because he decided they're a mess, and I'm just going to trust God to provide my money because he said, he said, if you seek the kingdom of God, everything will be added to you. All I'm going to do is pray. And I'm like, you're in China there, dude. And he's like, God's going to take care of me. And there was a, and 
he did like his whole life. He wound up having a thousand missionaries in 19, like 1902, living that way without raising any money, trusting God for their money. He said, when I was young, the guy told me, you're young now, but you're going to be wiser. He said, I did get older. I never did get wiser. And he said, I always trusted God. And he said, if there were a million missionaries out here, he would be able to take care of all of them because you just need to mark it down that God's work done in God's way will never lack for God's supply. So, you know, I think about Anthony Ashley, the seventh Earl of Shaftesbury, fighting for the rights of children who were working 14 and 16 hours at five to eight years old, naked in coal mines. And he went down a bucket 475 feet in a bucket on a cable to see what it was like. And I'm like, yes, I, that's, I, I love y'all. Like, I love, you know, people like that Brian Stevenson fighting to get people unjustly convicted off of death row, 157, I think, up to this point, and just willing, so sweet and love Jesus, but so brave. And it's like, I want to be brave. And one thing that I've learned about being brave is brave, being brave is not really a thing, like in the sense that, like being strong. Like, it's... Um, it's a choice you have to make every time. And you might be brave today, but you won't be you might not be brave tomorrow. It depends on how you make the choice. But like if you're if you're tall, okay, I'm I'm speaking kind of by faith here because I've never spent one day that way. But if you're tall, apparently the next day you'll, you'll be tall tomorrow and you'll be tall the next day. Or if you're strong, you'll be strong the next day. You'll be strong the day after that and you'll be strong for a while. The one time we were, Lee and I and Potsy and a bunch of us were having lunch together at, um, at, where, were we at Chick-fil-A or somewhere. And I said... I can bench press 200 pounds. And Devin O'Carty said, you cannot. And I said, I can't. 200 pounds? Of course I can. And he said, you can't. And, and we all at that time belonged to National Fitness. And Devin said, let's go. And so we got out and we went to National Fitness. We didn't have our gym clothes or anything. We just said, we're just doing a thing. You know, we all checked in. And so I got on the bench and they put 200 pounds. And if there hadn't been somebody on either end, it would have cracked my sternum on the way down. And I was like, what? I can do, I think it was 105 I could do. But, uh, and then Devin got under that 200 pounds and threw it up 10 times. And so, but, so, but, so, but, but be, being brave is not really like that. It's a choice you have to make every time. But bravery grows. One one thing you can grow that bravery grows out of is faith. Like you can have a faith that's hearty and cultivated and you've developed it. So there was a time in Mark chapter 4 when Jesus told his guys, only Mark tells us this, but Jesus said, let us go to the other side of the lake. And Mark also said there were other boats with them. And Mark also said, he said, um, um, that Jesus lay down on a pillow and he went to sleep. And then right in the middle of this, of going across the lake in the middle of the night, which they never did, and all of a sudden there was this gigantic storm and it was like, and Jesus was sound asleep. And they were, so they were like waking him up and they said, Lord, don't you care that we're going to perish? Like we're, we're about to drown. We're going to drown here. Don't you even care about that? And it says that Jesus got up and it was like the wind was blowing. And he said, he said, um, um, he said, uh, Guys, why are you afraid? And then the, and they were like, what? And then he, he just said, be quiet. And all of a sudden, the storm was completely still. And he said, guys, why are you so afraid? Do you still have, he didn't say, do you still have no, no courage? 
He said, do you still have no faith? Because they were afraid because they didn't have faith. Like you're, like one thing, one thing that people have discovered in cognitive behavioral therapy is that you feel the way. You, your emotions come from your thoughts, which come from your theology. Like you think the way you, you feel the way you do because you think the way you do. And you think the way you do because you believe the way you do. And that's why a lot of times Jesus would ask people questions about their emotions. He asked Mary Magdalene at the tomb, woman, why are you weeping? And she said, because they've taken away the body of Jesus. I mean, Jesus was risen talking to her. And she said, I don't even know where they put it. Jesus is dead. I don't even know where his body is. If I believed that, I would never stop crying till I was, ran out of water. Do you know what I mean? So, but he said, he said um, you can speak at about 100 and 12 to 120 words a minute, but you think at 1,400 words a minute. So if you're feeling certain emotions, you just need to slow down your thinking and say, what am I thinking to make me feel this way? So he said, guys, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Think about what you were thinking. And what they were thinking is, we're feeling afraid because we're thinking that we're going to die here because we believe you don't care. And if I believe that, I would be afraid all the time. So, um, actually, something wonderful was happening, and someone wonderful was here. And they were still afraid. And it's kind of like, is that okay? Is it okay to when something wonderful is happening and someone wonderful is here, to be that afraid. That's really what the Gospel of Mark is about. So like John Mark, Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, he was a person who had a lot of, um, he had a lot of fears. He wanted to, Kind of maybe follow. There's a place in the Gospel of Mark where, um, when Jesus was arrested, it said there was a young man, and he heard that Jesus was arrested or whatever, and got out of bed, and all he had was a sheet on, and he was kind of getting as close as he could dare to get, and somebody, some soldier, grabbed his sheet, and he ran away naked. Like, and most people think that Mark was saying, you know, that was me. I was pretty scared, and it wound up being pretty embarrassing. But then he wound up being, he didn't wound up learning to be brave, even though he was. He wound up learning to believe. And he became an associate and kind of an assistant to one of the first disciples of Jesus, Simon Peter. And Peter was a person who had lots of fears. There's a place in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus told his guys to get into a boat and row across the lake in the middle of the night again. And, it, and there was a lot of wind blowing and stuff. And they were, it was really, they were having a hard time getting across. And Je so Jesus saw that they were out there from where he was. So he comes walking like out on the water. And Mark said, only Mark said this, but it said Jesus was just going to walk by them. Just like, what's up, fellas? I mean, he was probably like kind of like people ice skating in the Olympics, you know, just skating along and do a triple sow cow 
bam, just like, what's up, guys, you know? And it was just, and it said they were screaming. They started, when they saw Jesus, they started screaming. And it said they were so afraid. It's a word that's only found in the Gospel of Mark, but it said they were like out, they were just like, they were like, scared out of their mind, literally. And they were just so afraid. And it's like, wait a minute, something wonderful has happened to you. Someone wonderful is here. Is it appropriate to be this afraid? So Peter was someone who knew what it means to be afraid. But then he became someone who, not that he knew how to be brave, but he knew how to believe. And so the Gospel of Mark is basically Peter's stories. Like it's Mark writing down all the stories that Peter told him about um, Jesus and about, and Mark arranged them in a certain way for a certain reason. And so in the Gospel of Mark, it's just like Jesus just, bam, he just like appeared, like kind of, it's kind of like if you were there. So like there's no star of Bethlehem and no wise men coming from the east with presents and there was no shepherds in their fields. And when angel choirs singing about the newborn king, there was none of that. It's just like all of a sudden Jesus just appeared and he just started doing stuff. In fact, a better way to put it would be he just starts doing stuff because almost like in a whole bunch of the Gospel of Mark, he uses the present tense. Then Jesus says this, and then Jesus goes here, then Jesus goes there, and then Jesus does this. It's kind of like you're right there. In fact, there's a word that is used in the Gospel of John seven times. It's the word euthis, and it means just then, right then, immediately, right at that moment. But and John uses it Seven, six times, Luke uses it seven times, Matthew uses it 18 times, Mark, which is the shortest gospel, uses it 43 times. He's just like, then he, does, then he does this, then he says this, then he does that. So, And then it's just like, okay, just come along with me and watch, and watch how people react to what he does. So in chapter one, Jesus, he goes into a synagogue and he starts teaching, and tell, teaching people, and telling them stuff that he knew, and it says, and they were just amazed at it. And then there was a guy who had a, like a, a spirit, a bad, an evil spirit in him, and Jesus just sent the evil spirit away. And people were super amazed when he did that. So then Peter said, could you come to my house? Like, we're do you're doing this stuff, so would you come to my house? Because my mother-in-law is very sick. And I think that Peter had a special interest in his mother-in-law kind of getting on, you know, Team Peter about some decisions that he had made because he had quit his job and, and in a fishing business to follow this rabbi full time. And she's like, okay, so who's going to feed my daughter and my grandbabies if you quit your job and he said you don't have to worry about it because my master Jesus said that God feeds the birds and you're more important than birds and she's like he feeds the birds worms and bugs so are you going to feed my grandkids worms and bugs and so, but she was very sick and then so Peter said, could you come to my house? So Jesus went to Peter's house and took his mother-in-law by the hand and just completely healed her. And everybody was like so amazed. And every sick person in that in the whole town came there. And then, and so people were just like, this is amazing. And then there was a leper who, uh, a guy who had, had leprosy, and Jesus was walking down the road. And he, and he gets in front of Jesus and he, on his knees and he said, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus said, I am willing. And he reached out and touched this person who probably hadn't been touched by anybody in 10 years. And he was immediately healed. And Jesus said, don't, I don't want you to tell anybody. So, the, and that's a common thing in the gospel of Mark where Jesus tells people not to tell anybody. And it's like, why wouldn't he want him tell, to tell anybody? And you think, well, he's a person who said, if you, if you would, I know you could. I know you can heal me. I don't know if you really care about me. 
I know you're powerful. I don't know if you love. I don't know if you love. Nobody else does. Well, if I did know a person who really didn't believe that Jesus loved people, I wouldn't want them talking about Jesus. So, I mean, I could think of a lot of people I wish would stop talking about Jesus. But, but anyway, so, but, th so this, and then, but everybody will, so he heals this person and he wound up telling everybody. So then they go to a, a house and there's so many people there that wanted to get healed that there was some friends that had a, a guy who was a paralytic on a cot and they said, and they couldn't get in the door. So they said, we're going to go up the back steps and go up on the roof and go through the roof. And so they make this gigantic hole in the roof roof and the guy on the cot's like I don't want to go through the hole and they said shut up you so then they and they lowered they lowered him down I'm feeling better I feel happy no it's like you're going down the hole so they lowered him down the hole and G and Jesus just healed the guy like that and said people were so amazed and they said we've never seen anything like this so Jesus would do stuff and everybody was amazed by it then in chapter 4 it takes a turn and then in chapter 4 when like when they were out on that storm and they were very very afraid and then Jesus stilled the storm and it said after Jesus stealed the storm, they didn't start high-fiving and said, this is awesome. They, it says they were afraid. And it's like, what? Something wonderful has happened. Somebody wonderful was here. Why are you afraid? But they were. Then they, they went to this place where there was a guy he didn't have like one impure spirit. He had like an army full. He had an army of impure spirits inside of him. And um, he was running around naked, and day and night, he never slept, never stopped screaming. Nobody could stop him. They tried to chain him. They couldn't chain him. He had stones, and he was cutting himself with stones. And Jesus came, and the guy started screaming and said, Jesus, have you come here to torture me? And Jesus, I would have said, you're cutting yourself with stones there, dog. You, I mean, you're doing a pretty good job on your own. Jesus has really come to torture you, you know? And then, so, but then Jesus, he... he threw all of those evil spirits out of the person. And the, when the people in the town came and they saw the guy clothed and in his right mind, it said they were afraid. And it's like, that is weird. And they asked Jesus to please leave them. Well, then he went to, he went to, uh, he was in Capernaum again. And there was a guy who had a daughter who was very sick, and they was trying to get Jesus to come. And there was a woman who had 12 years, had been bleeding for 12 years, and she was, and she was um, anemic and isolated from everyone. And she's just, if I could just touch him, if I could just touch him, I could be healed. And she reached out and touched him. And there were like thousands of people there and everybody pushing and pulling. And Jesus could tell that somebody had touched him to be healed. And he stopped and he said, who did it? And you would have thought the woman would have said, I did it. Ah, you are awesome. I did it. I'm clean. And she didn't do that. It said she was trembling and afraid. And it's just so strange that something wonderful was happening. Someone wonderful was here, and they were afraid. So in chapter 9, Jesus had begun to tell them that he was going to go to Jerusalem, and he was going to be killed, and he was going to rise from the dead. And you would have thought they would have been so like amazed and wanting to learn and excited, because this was the place where human history that was hurtling towards an inevitable doom, the whole thing was going to to turn into the promise of hope for like us and the world. And they didn't want to hear about it. It said they were afraid to hear about it. And in the next chapter, Jesus was going towards Jerusalem to 
to do this thing for them. And it said they were, some of them were astonished. Most of them were afraid. And then at the end of the book of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus had died to pay for them, was risen from the dead. They went to the tomb. The stone was rolled away. And an angel told them, he's risen, guys. He is risen. Gals, I mean, it was just women. He's risen. He's risen. This is the greatest thing ever. Go and tell the disciples. Tell, he's risen. He's alive. Something wonderful has happened. Someone wonderful is still here. And it said, they went away trembling. You would have thought they would have been so full of joy, of peace, of courage. And they went away trembling and afraid and bewildered. And it's kind of like, okay, look at that. Something wonderful had happened. Someone wonderful was here. And they were bewildered and afraid. How do you all think they did? And something wonderful is happening to you. And someone wonderful is here. How are you doing? You afraid? Are you afraid too much? So the Gospel of Mark was originally written for the community of followers of Jesus who lived in the city of Rome. And it was a big, diverse, international community. And they had come to believe in Jesus. They believed that he was risen from the dead. And a lot of them were having a lot of problems. They were in a lot of storms in the middle of the night that they didn't expect to be in. There was a couple there, Priscilla and Aquila. They had just come back because the Emperor Claudius was dead, but he had kicked them all out. And now he was dead, and so they could come back. But they had had a hard time. There were a lot of, there's a bunch of people in chapter 16 that Paul was, was saying, the Paul who wrote the, the letter to the Rome. So the Gospel of Mark was written to the community in Rome, but they also had a letter that had been written by another one of the big important people in the Christian movement, Paul. He had written a letter to them, a long letter. And in the last chapter, he was saying hello to people that he knew. And that's, you kind of get the feeling that a lot of people in this community of followers of Jesus in Rome, they weren't having an easy life. There were a, there were, they, there were a lot of names that were slave names. Ampliatus, Urbanus, Julia, scholars say these were people who were slaves. Their life was extremely difficult. But then when he talks about them, he said they're working hard in the Lord. They're risking their life happily. And, and he talks a lot about hugging and kissing. And they're like, they're, they're, their life is just full of love. Like they're full of joy. They're full of peace. They're full of courage. How about you? So there's a... When you, when you think about what they knew, you think about what we know. Something wonderful is happening to us. Someone wonderful is here. Like So when Paul wrote that letter to the Romans, to those same people who had the Gospel of Mark, where he kind of said, 
Are you more afraid than you should be? These people were, but you know more than they do. So one thing the book of Romans is about is Paul's like, I just want to make sure you guys understand the message that we believe. Um, so let me tell it to you. So he starts out by saying, okay, everybody's a mess. We've all done a million things that are bad. We're hopelessly polluted. We can't pay for the stuff that we've done. And we can't cleanse our own heart. The one time I was, one, the first time I ever went to a jail, it was the Knox County Jail, and we were going around talking to guys, and I, and I asked a guy just between through the bars, I said, so um, we laughed and joked, and I said, let me ask you a question. If you died today, and God were to say, why should I let you into heaven, what would you say? And he said, well, I reckon I'd say I've always tried to live right and do my best. And I was like, I believe you're in the Knox County Jail. I mean, I think. <laughs> You're, you're hoping your best is going to get you into heaven, and it's gotten you into the Nogs County Jailhouse. <laughs> so, I mean, but he said, but anyway, but he said, but he says, but the good news is that's why Jesus came. Jesus, in chapter 3, he said Jesus was Almighty God who became a human being. But he came to pay for us. Like he came, he, he came to pay, took all of our guilt upon himself and he paid for it and he rose from the dead so that if you believe in him, you can, you, he's offering to whoever wants it a complete forgiveness of everything you've ever done, do, or will do in an instant. More than that, he says in chapter 3, verse 30, 24, he said, if you believe in him, you're justified. That is like the most mind-blowing thing you could ever imagine. If you ever thought something wonderful has happened, something wonderful has happened. Justified means that the moment you believe in Jesus, not only are you forgiven for everything you've ever done to or will do, but you're pronounced righteous, which means that, um, like, in the sight of God, you're righteous. Like, you're a saint. You're, like, holy. And you're like, I'm not. But he said, yeah, but God says you are. And it's like, how could it be? And he said, it's because, it's really a deep mystery, but it's because of what Jesus did. Like, when Jesus came to earth, almighty God, who became a human being, and when he died in that horrible way, what was happening was, our guilt was mysteriously transferred to him. Even though he had never done anything wrong, and he paid for all of it. So that when you believe in him, his righteousness is mysteriously transferred to you and me, even though we've never done anything 100% right, and we pay for none of it. And so we're like, so like I'm 100% forgiven of everything I've ever done or ever will do, and I'm righteous in the sight of God. And he said in chapter five, and so we have peace with God. Like, I don't get in trouble anymore. Like, God, I'm, God and I are at peace with each other. It says in chapter 8, verse 1, there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And he said in chapter 5, and because of that, the love of God is poured out into our heart. Like, I know that God loves me. In chapter 8, he said, we don't have a spirit of bondage, but we have a spirit of adoption. I know in my heart that God has become my dad. Like, I'm his kid, and he's my dad. And it's like a whole new life and a whole new start. And I know God loves me, and I know I'm not getting into trouble. And even if things happen, like in chapter 8, he said, even if I... In chapter 5, he said, even though we go through what he calls tribulations, trials, it means squeezing tight places, even though I go through places that are kind of tough, and I will go through them, but I know that he loves me. There's a place in chapter 8, verse 28, uh, 
and 29 where he says, everything that happens, like God is my dad, and everything that happens to me, the good things, the bad things, the hard things, the easy things, the sweet things, the bitter things, he makes it all work together so that he's doing something in my life that he couldn't do in any other way. And it's just like, and it's just, and so I can look at my life and say, because I've believed in Jesus, something wonderful has happened to me. God's making me into a person I couldn't be in any other way. And someone wonderful is here. He said, what can separate us from the love of Christ? Can tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? In all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer. Well, actually, that's a quotation. That's a quotation from Psalm 44, which is a real kind of gripey song. Like, God, you're, you're doing such a terrible job. Like, you, you know, we try to be faithful to you, but, you know, you're, kind of, you, you're, just, you're, just, you're not helping us. Like, everybody's giving us a hard time. It's like we're sheep to be slaughtered. And Paul quotes that in Romans chapter 8, and he said, it's just like we're sheep to be slaughtered. But I don't care. It's awesome. I mean, God's doing something awesome in my life, and I know that he loves me, and I know that he's with me, and I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels or principalities nor powers nor things present or things to come or height or death or any created thing can ever separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus my Lord. This is what I know. I know that something wonderful is happening to me, and I know that someone wonderful is with me. So... Why am I so afraid all the time? Why do I feel so bewildered all the time? Why am I anxious a lot? Am I doing okay? Maybe I could do better than this. Maybe Jesus wants something more than this from me. Um, what part of this do I not believe? Maybe for Lent, maybe for the next three weeks until Easter Sunday, I could give him what he wants from me. Mark, what does he want from me? He wants you to believe it. He wants you to believe. He wants you to really believe that something wonderful is happening to you. And someone wonderful is here. And he's with you. Maybe the anxiety I feel and the worry that I feel, if he doesn't want that from me, maybe for his sake, I could decide, I'm going to give them up for Lent. I've done that before. Like, if I've got a time where I'm really, really anxious and dealing with a lot of anxieties, I've decided for the next two weeks, I'm not going to do this. And it was only two weeks. And I did it. Like, I could do it. So maybe that's what he's asking me. Maybe he's asking me to believe just a little bit better and just a little bit more and make a decision for Lent because something wonderful is happening to you and to me. Someone wonderful is here. I'm gonna believe it a little bit better. All to Jesus I surrender all to Him I freely give I will ever
presence daily live. One, two, three.